Church, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series from the book of Ruth, and, uh, and I want you to know this is kind of a stretch for me. I'm a, my OCD issues that I struggle with, I usually like to start a sermon series at the beginning of the month and then finish it up at the end of the month, but I really have enjoyed the book of Ruth, and so we're going to continue in it, and I'm going to grow, learn and grow from this that I can actually finish one in the middle of the month, but we're going to continue in the book of Ruth, and we've been looking at the story of Ruth and how... We build relationships and, and the lessons that God has for each and every one of us in our relationships through the book of Ruth. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Church, I want to give you a little refresher about what we've been talking about all month long in case you... Uh, haven't been here or you missed some, uh, I want you to remember that Ruth, she was a poor widow, right? She was a poor widow, and as the Bible says, one day it just so happens that she was working in the field of Boaz. And in the Bible, when it says just so happens, what that means is that's the providence of God. It's the providence of God, and so you might say, preacher, what's the providence of God? I'm going to tell you today. It's where God uses the natural circumstances, right? Where he uses the natural circumstances to do something amazing. It's where he uses that natural circumstance to do the supernatural in his will. And for some reason, my screen is not working back there, so my notes aren't functioning properly. So if somebody in the back could help me. You don't want me to wing it today, church. I promise you that. <laughs> Ruth chapter three is weird. It's still not working, guys. People love to see the preacher squirm. I don't know why that is. Yup. All right, there we go. Thank you. I can quit sweating now. <laughs> Providence is my turtleneck, that's right. Providence is to accomplish the supernatural will of God. That's God's will. And so Ruth, here's how it works out. Ruth just happened to be working in a field that belonged to a godly landowner, right? A godly landowner. His name was Boaz. And the Bible says that he was a man of standing. He was a man of standing. If you don't know what that means, a man of standing, it was someone who had property. It was someone who was in the will of God. It was someone who loved the Lord. And so Boaz... The landowner, he kind of asked Ruth out on a date. It, let me explain this date to you. And guys, I do not recommend that you go on your first date like this. Basically, Ruth got to hang out with Boaz and eat lunch with a bunch of other sweaty field hands that day. So that's not really how you go on a date. But, you know, so they connected. And now I might be reading into this a little bit, but... They talked for a while, you know. He offered her way more than she needed. The conversation probably looked good. And if I could modernize it a little bit for you, you know, the sparks were flying, right? They, they, he made her laugh. You know, she made him feel good about himself. There was no awkward silence whatsoever. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, they were finishing each other's sentences and they had butterflies in their stomach, right? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But after their first time of hanging out and eating lunch... It was good. It was good for them. But then here's what happens. There was nothing. After they had that lunch together in the field, then there was nothing. In today's standards, here's how it looked. Boaz ghosted Ruth, right? Things were going good, and all of a sudden, he was just gone. You know, there was no follow-up call. There was no courtesy text. And so Ruth is confused. 
You know, seven weeks has happened, right, since the harvest, and it goes by, and that harvest is almost all the way over. And so Ruth might have been, she just might have been scratching her head and saying, you know, I, I, I think maybe I read something that wasn't there. Maybe I came on too strong. Maybe I was too forward with Boaz. You know, maybe I should have showered before lunch before because I was working, right? All these kind of things. Maybe she was thinking, I just blew it all together, or what did I do wrong? So Ruth's mother-in-law, if you don't remember who Ruth's mother-in-law is, it's Naomi, right? So Naomi was always kind of an opinionated girl, and she was not always wise with her advice. She stepped into the conversation, and she basically said, Ruth, it's time to define the relationship. You know, for those of you who know what that means, it's DTR, right? Define that relationship. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Define that relationship. It's that dreaded official talk where a couple gets together, and they kind of determine the level of commitment that they're going to be in in this relationship. It's kind of asking those questions and answering like, you know, what are we? Are we just friends? You know, are we more than just friends? Are we casually dating? Are we exclusively dating? And then there's that very important follow-up. You know, if we're dating exclusively, then do we go public on social media? And if we're going public on social media, is it a soft launch or is it a hard launch? A soft launch is hinting where you just throw a bunch of pictures out there and I was like, oh, I think they might be dating. And the hard launch is where you change your profiles and you are all in, right? You have that person's name all already in a relationship. And then you pray. You pray that you don't break up because then you have to delete and change your profiles on your social media. But you have to define that relationship. Church, every single relationship in your life will get to that point that you're going to have to define it. I'm even talking about relationships with people you're sitting by. Maybe it's relationship with your heavenly father. There comes a point in your life you have to make a decision. What is this relationship? Am I all in? Am I all in? So through the story of Ruth today, I got you caught up to speed. I want to show you how to navigate this in all relationships as far as defining a relationship. So if you will, turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. If you're going to flip to Ruth chapter 3, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2, and it starts out like this. It says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So basically, Naomi's looking at her and saying, listen, you've been here long enough. I got to find somewhere. I need you to get you a man. And then she says this, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing Barley on the threshing floor, church. I don't know about you, but I have never said the phrase winnowing barley on the threshing floor. I had to actually look up exactly what that meant. What does it mean to winnow barley on the threshing floor? Well, I'm going to show you a picture on the screen here, right? This is a place after the harvest that you would take all that you gathered up, right? And you take everything. It was a platform out in the field where you were harvesting and then you would mix up the grain, right? You mix it up, and then you would take everything you had, you would throw it up in the air, and in this particular story, the westward wind would come along, and it would separate the grain from the chaff. And this would basically determine, it would determine how much of the good stuff that you had, you know, how your harvest was, how much you can eat, and then how much you can sell. And so essentially, it's determining profit. So at the end of the harvest, you, you have Boaz, right? He's at the threshing floor, 
And he's taking care of things. He's about to gather all the workers. And I did a little bit of studying on this. What are they going to do? Here's what they do. They're actually going to have like a payday party. They have a payday party. So everyone gets paid, and then they throw a party, right? So Naomi's thinking, she's thinking about, i got to get Ruth a man here. She's thinking, you know, they're going to have a party tonight. And so Naomi begins to strategize for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And she's thinking, okay, Ruth. Boaz, he's going to be there, and he's going to be in a good mood because he's making money, right? He's making money, and so here's what we're going to do. Check out Ruth chapter 3, verse 3. The first thing Ruth, Naomi tells Ruth is this, wash. Now, I'm going to stop right there. If you're looking to be in a relationship, write this down. Some of you might need to write it down. If you want to be in a relationship, one of the greatest things you can do is you take a bath, all right? You take a bath first. So, so Naomi's telling Ruth, she said, you wash up. You take a bath first, right? Take a bath. That's a, hey, it's in the Bible. You can't go against it. Then she says, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And then she goes on to say this. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Church, what was she thinking? What was Naomi thinking for Ruth? She was thinking, like, <laughs> Last time Boaz saw you, girl, you were a mess, right? You probably had dirt under your fingernails. You know, your, your hair was all sweaty and, and ratty looking. And, and I want to show Boaz your glow up. You know, you take a bath first. You, you, you take that bath. You get your best outfit. Maybe you can put on a little bit of that midnight in Bethlehem perfume that they were wearing back there, whatever it was called. And, and, and Ruth, I want you to show up to Boaz's place. I want you to look good, and I want you to smell good. And then she says, but go down that threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Finished eating and drinking. So she's saying, let him finish that. Because everybody knows that all guys are happier when they're done eating and drinking. So you can see Naomi's strategy here. You can see the strategy, and here's where it really starts to get weird. I promise you, Ruth chapter three, it's weird. Check out verse four with me, if you will. This is Naomi telling Ruth, and then when he lies down, note the place where he was lying. So she's saying he's gonna lay down, right? Remember, they just got done at the threshing floor. They're picking up all the profits, and they're figuring out, dividing up all the grain, and here's what they did back then, church. They slept there. They slept right there by the, the, the goods, right by the prophets, because they didn't want anyone to steal it. So Boaz is going to be sleeping in the middle of his field with his stuff, okay? And it goes on to tell us there in verse 5. Oh, she goes on in verse 4. It says, you know, when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And verse 5 says this. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And verse six goes on to say, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now listen, church, if I had some daughters, I would never give this advice to any of my daughters. God knew what he was doing when he didn't give me daughters because she probably wouldn't have liked me for about 30 years of her life. I would never give the advice, okay, you go to a party, you know, wait for him to catch a buzz. When, he, when he's in bed, you sneak in and whisper to him, tell me what you want me to do, Boaz. That's Naomi. This is in the Bible, church. What in the world was Naomi doing? What was she advising these girls? 
to sneak up in the bed and uncover his feet and you wait for him. I was intrigued, to say the least. I had three concordances in my office. I busted all three of them out to Ruth chapter three because I wanted to know what was up with this, all right? And I found some different opinions. I'm gonna share those opinions with you today. The very first one, the theory was this. When Naomi said, uncover his feet, this was a euphemism saying, uncover more about him. Get to know Boaz about, you know, who Boaz is and and what he liked. That's a theory. Then another theory was this. Naomi is telling Ruth, you be a little aggressive, girl. (laughs) You ain't got a lot to offer. You know, this is your chance. You, You do whatever it takes to get his attention. And then the third theory that I found in the concordances is this, that Naomi is saying, you trust God's sovereignty and you trust Boaz's integrity. We know he's a man of God. And we know he's a man of standing. And we know that he loves God. So they think that Naomi is basically just telling Ruth, just put yourself in the right place at the right time and the right God will bring the right man. And those are the theories we had to work with. You do what you want with those, okay? Bible doesn't make it perfectly clear. But what we know is this, that Naomi is telling Ruth, you be a little bit forward. Why? Why was she telling that? Because this is her potential guardian redeemer. Church, if you weren't here or you don't remember, I want you to understand what a guardian redeemer is. This is potentially the man who will help provide for her, and he can be that spiritual covering for her. And so her mother-in-law is saying, you might want to give him a hint along the way. And ladies, what I want to tell you this morning, girls, listen up to me. Some men need a little encouragement, okay? Some men need a lot of encouragement. And the reason is this, I'll tell you a little secret, right? The secret is this, most men are a little bit insecure. So they need you to kind of feed them a little bit, right? Some of you would say, this ain't no secret. I know my man's insecure. Let's just pretend, let's pretend for a minute that it is so. You do these things to make your guy feel better. Some of us are insecure and we need a little bit of help. See, we kind of need like a, a signal. We, we need kind of even more like a sign sometimes from you, right? I, I remember feeling this way about Mary. You know, we were, we were kind of progressing in our relationship for I don't know how many a th- time it was. You know, it was the, the last time before we got married and we're progressing in this relationship. And, and I'm kind of thinking like, all right, does she really like me? Does she really like me this time? And, and if she does, you know, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. And, and I was struggling with it. And I remember one time we, were, we went down to Beaver Creek at fall down at the state park down there. And we were hanging out down there taking pictures and stuff. And, and my girl wore the best smelling perfume ever when we were younger. She still, wore, she still smells good today. I, I smelled her right before I came up here. But I'm serious, this perfume was good, and I I, I would love it when she would get in my car. So my girl started getting warm up, and in the fall, you know, it was warm up. She took her sweatshirt off. She left it in my car, and I was like, yes, because you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to smell that sweatshirt. You go ahead and say I'm a weirdo, but I promise you every single one of you dudes know exactly what I'm talking about. I wanted to smell that sweatshirt, and then I started feeling guilty, so I called her, and I said, hey, babe, you you left your sweatshirt in my car and I can get it back to you. And she said, this is what did me in right here. She goes, you can keep it. And at that minute, I knew she was all in. 
She was all in with me, right? And, and, and think about this. I figured it was official because she, told, she didn't tell me I had to give it back to her. She said I could keep it. And church, it's these little things. It's these little things. Ladies, sometimes a guy needs a little bit of encouragement. So Ruth goes and she lays down by his feet. She's waiting by his bed, right? And I want to be very, very clear here. This is descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? If you don't know what that means, in other words, this is what happened in the Bible. It's just describing it. That's descriptive. Prescriptive means that you should try it, and and there's a big difference there. The Bible's not telling you to try this approach. In my opinion, it's not always the best plan, but I actually like that it's in the Bible because the Bible puts real stuff in there. The Bible puts real stuff, and listen to me this morning. The Bible puts stuff in there because we as people, we don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. We don't always understand, and so this is to show us and to encourage us with the truth in the book of Ruth there. Even if you don't get it right, church, God can always make it right. Even if you don't do everything by the book all the time, our God is still working on it, but some of you right now, you're in a relationship Some of you might be in a relationship, and your relationship's pretty messed up. I mean, it's really jacked up. Your relationship, it's not right. You know, you're not honoring God in your relationship, maybe. But I want to remind you of something. You serve a redemptive God. He can make all things right, church. He is a forgiving God. He is a gracious God. He is. He is a very gracious God, and he works in all things. He can take you to places that, that, you know, where we break things, and he can actually make them better than new when he puts them back together. Our God can do that. Now, this does not give you permission to be dumb. It doesn't. I did not give you just permission to be stupid. This is an encouragement that if you make a mistake, that God is still good. And I hope that that encourages you this morning. I really do. I hope that encourages you. So now let's listen. This story's gonna get weirder, church. It's gonna get really weird. In Ruth chapter three, verse seven, it says, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, so what does this mean? It meant he was feeling good, right? He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Remember, he's sleeping out in the field by his stuff. And Ruth approached him quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. Remember now, Ruth is smelling good. She's got her best fit on, and she uncovers his feet to lay down. And in verse 8, it says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. I want to give you a clue what it was. There was a girl who uncovered his feet, who smelled good and looked good, was laying down at his feet. That's what startled him. It's a no-brainer, right? And it says, he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And verse 9 says this, who are you, he asked. And she said, I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Church, do you remember what a guardian redeemer is? It's a relative who had the responsibility and privilege, by the way, to provide for a family member in their time of need. That's what a guardian redeemer is. And what would happen is, if there was a widow, you know, her husband, would have had to die, that's how you're a widow. They would typically have a brother. And that brother, then in turn, would have the spiritual responsibility to provide and protect for that widow. This was the guardian redeemer. But see, Boaz, I wanna remind you, is a distant guardian redeemer. 
He is not anywhere close to being the number one pick. See, he did not have any legal right. He did not have any obligation to provide for her whatsoever. He didn't have to do that. And so here's what we see is going on. She is saying, will you cover me up? Will you cover me up? And many scholars believe that she's saying, will you be my spiritual covering? Will you be my spiritual covering? Would you be my redeemer? Some scholars will even tell you this. They'll say that she's proposing. She's being very forward. I'm not sure she's proposing or not, but she definitely is being forward. And you could even say that she's encouraging him to propose if she's not proposing. You know what I'm talking about? She's laying heavy hints down. You, you could say that, right? I, I remember before Mary and I got married, and, and you know that there's that age group. It's in like the, the mid-20s when a lot of your friends are all getting married. And Mary and I had talked about, we, we'd been officially dating, I think, three years and, you know, she's starting to say, when we get married. And I'm kind of like, well, I think we both need to finish college first. And she's like, why? Why do we have to finish college? And I'm like, well, because that's written somewhere in the book of Leviticus, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sweating. And really and truly, the main reason I was afraid of finances, I wanted to be able to supply for Mary and Jordan, I really did. I wanted to, make, I wanted to be a self-made man. I didn't want to rely on anybody else. But she's like, I, I don't understand why we can't get married. Every single wedding we went to of our friends in that one year, we went to seven. Her demeanor changed at every single one. Let me tell you, her demeanor got crabbier. And by the seventh one, I'm thinking, I gotta pull the trigger here real soon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose this girl. But I believed it in my mind that I thought that you had to do it a certain way. I thought it was a written rule that you had to be graduated, you had to have careers, you had to money. But see, Mary wanted to get married sooner instead of later and as fast as we could. And so I did it. And listen, we were okay. Our engagement lasted nine months. And I got my wife. And we were fine. We didn't have careers yet. We didn't have our college degrees yet. And we made it. Here we are. We made it. But listen, sometimes us guys, we need a good girl to help us along. Ladies, you got to remember that. Sometimes you got to help us out a little bit. And, and so here we go back to the story of Ruth. Boaz, right, is in good spirits. She is by his bed. She grabs his covers. And what did she do? She stayed the night with him at the threshing floor. And instantly, in today's society, the question would come up, did they have sex that night? The answer is no. The answer is no, they did not. And I will show you why in one moment here. I will show you why. But it raises one of the most important questions of people who are dating. They ask me, I've had this several times, they'll ask me when it comes to physical interaction, the question is this, how far is too far? I had a young man, he was bold enough to come in my office. I mean, he laid it out. He really did. He laid out. He said, you know, I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, I want to know, preacher, what's allowed? I'm like, well, ask me questions. I don't know if I should have did that. <laughs> can I smell her hair? Yeah, I guess you, if she allows you to smell her hair, you can smell her hair. Can I lick her neck? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's legal or not legal. I had to look in the Bible for that one. And so the question comes up, where 
is the line. I want to tell you, church, the Bible tells us where the line is in the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, whichever your Bible calls it. In chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Do not awaken love until the time is right. <clears throat> so how far is too far? Let's pretend we're all adults here. And <laughs> some of us mentally, some of us physically. When your body prepares for sex, and I won't get any further than that because you know what I'm talking about, but at that point, it's too far. So a wise Christian person who wants to honor God if you want to honor God and wait till marriage, because that's what God calls for us to do. If you want to honor God with purity in your life, if you want to be pure, this person isn't going to get as close to the line as possible. What they're going to want to do is they're going to want to put in some safety measures, right? You know, to stay away from just that line. If I today went and got a pilot's license so I could fly a plane, one of my top goals would be I'm not going to crash this plane. I don't want to crash the plane, right? I wouldn't say, let me see how close I can get this bad boy to crash it. I wouldn't do that. I'm not that stupid, right? If I see a poisonous snake, I wouldn't push to see how close I could get to that snake before he reaches out and bites my leg. I would want to stay away from it. So church, if we are wise and we want to honor God with sexual purity, which by the way, as Christians, he calls us to that. It's really not your choice. If you're being obedient, Instead of getting as close as we can, you put those safeguards up. I want to read that to you one more time. I want to make sure you understand Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4. Promise me, O women of Israel, not to awaken love until the time is right. The right time to awaken love. This is in the covenant of marriage between a man and the woman. The Bible makes it clear, church. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. You might say, oh, preacher, that's old-fashioned. <laughs> Let me tell you what. The Bible says sex is the union of two people who become one flesh, by the way, and that is a covenant that God created. So if you want what everyone else has, meaning the world, then you go ahead and do what everyone else does. If you want to struggle emotionally, if you want to struggle spiritually, and sometimes even struggle physically, go ahead and have sex before marriage because that's what it does. It's very spiritual. It's very emotional. But if you want to have something better, if you want to have something different, then you do something different. See, what does Boaz do with that girl at his feet? <laughs> Thank you, Boaz, but Boaz treats Ruth honorably. He treats her honorably. She's at the foot of his bed. She smells good and she looks good, by the way. And he doesn't push her to have sex. He, he respects her purity, and I'll show you exactly why I know that. In Ruth chapter 3, if you'll turn over to page uh, verse 11 with me, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, it says this. It says, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all, I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. I want to explain something to you. He's saying, I'm going to let them know what a classy chick you are that you weren't in here trying anything. I'll let them know that you have actually done the right thing because in biblical times, if you were a widow and there was no guardian there for you, if there wasn't a brother who was gonna take over responsibility for you, you pretty much turned to prostitution just to live. He said, man, I'm gonna tell everybody that's not you. 
That, that is not who you are. I let them know that you have actually done the right thing. He's saying, you know what, Ruth? You and I, we're gonna honor God. And so this church is the good news. Ruth has hinted and hinted and hinted that she is available. She declares her love for Boaz, and Boaz is all in. Now, they could get married and, and live happily ever after, but not yet. <laughs> Ruth chapter three, verse 12 and 13. It says, but while it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, this is Boaz speaking, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So there's an obstacle. Another man is actually legally has the right to be that guardian redeemer. And so next week, we're gonna do Ruth chapter four. There's four chapters in Ruth. We're gonna see Boaz. He's gonna get a little creative, okay? But let's, let us see what we have this week. And I really wanna bring this home to you this morning. There's four big lessons I want you to get from this week. If you're writing stuff down, write this down. Number one, if you want that special thing, that special person, put yourself in the right place. You put yourself in the right place. If you want to meet the right person, you get in the right place. So to increase your chances, you go to the right places. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to meet a follower of Jesus Christ, you go where those people hang out. I'm going to tell you where it is, church. That's where they hang out. They hang out at church. And then, second thing is this, don't overlook who is right in front of you. Don't you overlook who's right in front of you. Sometimes... What you're looking for is that person is right in front of you, but we get caught up in all the other stuff. I had a lady come into my office probably five, six, 10 years ago. I don't know how long it was. She came in. She said, I want to be married. And I said, good, you should be. And I said, well, what are you looking for? She pulled out a list. I'm not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating. I tell you, he got to drive a lifted Ford F-150. Not a junky one either. I don't want rust on it. You know, his hair had to be this certain color. His eyes had to be this certain color. I mean, she had a list. And I, told, I looked at her and said, girl, you're looking for a unicorn. You ain't gonna find him. You're not. And I encouraged her. I said, listen, you gotta open your eyes. Maybe that person is right in front of you. But you're so caught up on your list. You're so caught up on, on the things that you want. And it's all worldly stuff. Instead of, listen, open your eyes. We saw this with Ruth and Boaz, didn't we? We saw it happen right there. And the third point I want you to get today is this. You go after what you want. You go after it. So many times we just sit there and like, I wish this would happen in my life. I, I wish things would be different, man. You want something different? Then do something different. You know, if you're saying, I'm tired of dating losers all the time, stop dating losers. You got a pattern going there. Listen, go after what you want. I believe with all my heart, God wants to bless us as his people. Go after what you want. Don't you settle. Ladies, don't you dare settle. Don't you settle for the first thing that comes down the path if it is not godly. The fourth thing I want you to get today is this. Even if you didn't get it right with God, God can make it right. God can make it right. For some of us, this word is for us right now. Maybe you're in a current dating relationship. 
Maybe it's even in your marriage or there's some, some things in your life that, that aren't where they're supposed to be. I'm talking maybe you're, you're kind of sinning in this relationship. Maybe you're, you're expecting something that isn't there. It's not godly, right? There are some things that aren't there that, that need to be there. Maybe you have built your relationship on a foundation that isn't as strong as it should be. So even if you didn't do it right, church, even if you didn't do it all right, God is a redemptive God. I want you to know God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious God. He is working in all things the Bible tells us to bring, to bring together for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That is what God is doing, and he can still make things right. Man, church, if you want a marriage that honors God in the future, then you live a life that honors God today. I call that putting it in the bank. You honor God today and you're putting it in there and sooner or later, it's gonna get built up and then you're gonna be able to reap those rewards. You honor God today and then God will honor you also with that marriage that you want. But listen, honor him today. Don't wait until later. I've heard people say like, yeah, one day when I'm married, when I have kids, yeah, I'll start to serve Jesus then. No, listen to me. You be faithful to him today. You be faithful to him today. As I ask the praise team to come up here and we're gonna get ready, I wanna finish this up with you this morning. See, Boaz wants to be Ruth's guardian redeemer. But do you realize, like I told you, he was not obligated to care for Ruth like this. Why wasn't he? He wasn't a brother to the husband, number one. And number two, Ruth was a Moabite woman. She wasn't even from Bethlehem at all. She wasn't from Bethlehem, and so that law didn't apply here. But because he loved her so much, what did he do, church? What did Boaz do? Because he loved her so much, he chose to make a sacrifice for her. He chose to make a sacrifice for her. Here's what's incredibly powerful. I want you to get this this morning. Make sure you understand. Listen to me. Because of Ruth's one decision, in week one we talked about, she left Moab to go to Bethlehem. And because of Boaz's one decision to commit, to pursue, to provide, and to protect Ruth, because of this one decision, it led to a marriage. And this marriage resulted in a son named Obed. And from the lineage of Obed comes our guardian redeemer, which is Jesus Christ. Think about it, church. The son of God, I'm talking about the one who is our savior in the same way, in the same way Jesus wasn't obligated to give his life for you, but because his, of his love, he chose, church, to be stripped of heavenly glory and, and, to become, and to become that lamb of God, that perfect sacrifice. And he shed his blood for your sins and for mine. And after he gave his life, he didn't stay dead either, did he? He didn't stay dead. God raised him on the third day so that anyone, and this includes every single person who is sitting here. This includes every single person that's listening online. It doesn't matter what you've done. It, it doesn't matter where you're at right now. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. That you'll be saved. Jesus, your guardian redeemer, his door's open. His heart is for you. He's telling you, come to me now. So church, this morning, it's time for a little DTR. I'm talking about define 
the relationship. Who is Jesus Christ to you this morning? Who is he? Is he just a historical figure? Is he some guy that you read about in the Bible? Is he someone that you have kind of like a, oh, I got a casual commitment to him? Is he someone that you want to honor him by when you come to church, when you can, if the weather's just right and you have nothing else to do? Or is he your Lord and your Savior, church? Who is he to you? Do you realize he didn't come to give you a bunch of rules? That's not why Jesus came to this earth, to just give you a bunch of rules. He came to give you life and to give it to you to the full. So I ask you as church, do you know him? Seriously, do you honestly know him this morning? I'm asking you to define your relationship with Jesus Christ as you sit here right now. And you might be thinking like, preacher, you know what? I don't know him like I should. You know, I don't honor him in every aspect of my life. Maybe you don't honor him daily. Maybe it's just once a week on Sunday. It's time to define your relationship. Because listen, church, Jesus loves you so much. He really does. It took me a long time in my life to to fathom how deep that love was for me. And I still don't have it completely understand. But I know it's deep. And he wants to have a right place in your heart. So this morning, if you're living your life outside of him, if you're, you're casually enjoying Christianity, maybe one of those people that's on the fence, I wanna tell you, Satan owns the fence, church. He owns it. If you're on the fence, you're in his party, okay? Maybe today is the day you need to make things right. We say, Lord, that's it. I'm gonna give you all that I got. I wanna define my relationship with you and I want it to be strong. I want it to be where I am all in. You know how Boaz and Ruth was, they were all in. And God wants you to be all in with him. If that is for you this morning, I wanna encourage you to come forward. You come forward, man, we will pray with you. We will explain to you what that means. All you have to do is have an understanding. Like, I no longer want to live my old life, but I want a brand new one. And let God take care of the rest because he will change your heart, he will change your mind, and he will change your life. You will look at everything differently once you submit your life to him. So if that's for you, I want to encourage you to come forward. And the rest of you believers who are sitting here this morning, Maybe you're realizing from this sermon that your relationship's not fully right. You got a couple areas that you're holding on to, or maybe you even walk back down that road and pick them back up again. You got some things in there you know shouldn't be there, and it's time for you to give them back to him. Do you realize that he will take them back every single time you give them to him? So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.